0: Everyone, good morning, and welcome to our congregation here at Central. 2020 is going to be an amazing year for us because in 2020, this year, we are going to focus on evangelism, and it's part of—it's uh, a big part of our mission that God, or as Jesus Himself, has commissioned us to do. And we see this in the Great Commission, and to set us up for this endeavor that we have for uh, 2020. Um, our first sermon series for 2020 is about the Great Commission. And specifically, we are going to look at the what, the who, and the how of the Great Commission. And this is what we are going to do for the first quarter of 2020, January, February, and March. So um, in January, we're going to talk about what the Great Commission is, what it entails, what our role is in this particular task. And in February, we're going to talk about who is involved in the Great Commission. We're going to talk about ourselves, the the disciples of Jesus, the followers of of, of Christ, and the world uh, who who are the people that we are to reach for Jesus. And then in March, finally, we're going to talk about the details of how we get about fulfilling this task. And that is uh, what we're going to do. And what I want to do now is this. What I want to do is do a recap of what we did last week. Because it is important for us to be on the same page on what the Great Commission is. Because evangelism is not something that one or two or three or a family or two families or a certain group of people in the church do. It is what the church does. This is who we are in Jesus. We are The fishers of men. We are the ones who go out and make disciples. So to that end, we're going to look at Matthew 28, 18 to 20 briefly here in a few minutes. Just recap what we learned about what the Great Commission is. So we call this the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Because in this particular passage, Jesus himself, before he rose up to the heavens, commissioned us or instructed us or commanded us to do this one simple thing. And I love the way he said it. He said, make disciples. That is the command. Make disciples. That is our mission. And in this particular uh, passage, he tells us how to make disciples. I, I, love, I love Jesus because he tells us what to do and he tells us how to do it. He says, first, go. And again, it has this connotation that we are to actively pursue this endeavor. It's not something that we wait around doing until things are perfect. It's, it's, we do it today. We do it now. Go. It is ready. We need to have a proactive stance in this. And then he says, baptize. And this, what we talked about last week, is the culmination of what we call evangelism. I know it's all semantics. It's all discipleship. But I think it's important we make the distinction because the world today knows evangelism and discipleship. So baptizing is this, is this, is, is the culmination of what we call evangelism. And evangelism is literally Declaring or proclaiming the good news of Jesus, and when we, as the people of God, proclaim the good news of Jesus, we cause people to believe and have faith in Jesus. We cause people to um, confess Him as, as, as Lord and Savior. It causes them to repent of their sinful ways and to turn and to look unto Jesus. And then it causes them to be baptized into Christ in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, But that's not the end of discipleship. In fact, that is the start. From that moment on, that individual who just got baptized grows into Christ, becomes more and more like Jesus. And how does Jesus envision for this to happen? He says, after that, we teach them. We teach them to obey everything that he has commanded us. And that doesn't happen overnight. This is something that we do as we go. We teach them. And again, the distinction. It's not just teaching people what Jesus commanded us. Because if that's the command, it's easy. We just make booklets and have people read it. Right? What Jesus says is, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So we need to tell them what it is that they need to, 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 to do. And then we need to show it to them. We need to train one another. Equip one another. Uh, be examples to one another on how to do it. That is how we teach one another to obey what Jesus has commanded us. Now, here it is. That being said, we just defined what the Great Commission is. It is important for us to know that, again, because we need to do this as a congregation. And I say that because um, there is an American polling agency In the U.S. US called Barna. And what they did in October 2017 is they made a poll. They polled a population of 1,004 churchgoers and asked them this question. Have you heard of the Great Commission? That was just in 2017. Have you heard of the Great Commission? And the results were astounding. These are the results right here. See the big part right here? Right? I don't know if you can see my, uh, my cursor there, but more than 50%, more than half, 51% of respondents said, no, we have not heard of the Great Commission. We have not heard of my purpose in Jesus. And 6% of them said, well, I'm not sure. And a quarter of the people said, yeah, I've heard about it, but I'm not sure what it meant. And only 17%, see the red part? Only 17% of the respondents said, yeah, I've heard of it, and I know exactly what it is. And I want our congregation to be part of that 17%. I want us to know what the Great Commission is, and I want us to know what our part is in that particular task. Okay, so now that we've defined, defined it last week, this morning, I want us to actually set out to do it. Because there's one thing to know it, there's another thing to do it. See, most uh, most people, many Christians, many Christians are concerned about formal theology. What we want, what we need to believe. What we need to, you know, to have in our hearts. That's great. But equally important is function theology. How is it going to affect our lives every day? Because in Scripture, who we are is, is what we do. It's, you, know, you know the expression, crazy is, it's what crazy does. Christians are what Christians do. So, that being said, when we talk about the Great Commission, it's important to know what it is. But this morning, that's what, we're gonna, that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the Great Commission. But in particular, I want to talk to you about living. The Great Commission. Now the question that we want to ask this morning is this. What does that entail? What does that mean to me if I need to live out the Great Commission? What is, in, what is involved in that? So to do that this morning, we're going we're gonna to learn once again, like we always do, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are going to learn what His attitude was concerning the mission that god the father himself gave him and learning what he says about his own mission we are going to adapt that to ourselves as we live out the great commission today is that fair okay so what that's what we're going to do john 4:34 and 35 doug read that to us this morning Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. We are going to base our lesson entirely on this this morning. And in this particular text, I want to bring up three things that Jesus said that will help us in living out the Great Commission for ourselves as individuals and as a congregation. Let's start with what Jesus says about his attitude towards his work, the work that Jesus has given to him, uh, that God has given to him. He said that the work that God has given to him is his food. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me, And to accomplish his his work. We all know what food is in relation to our human bodies, right? Food sustains us. And it's amazing because Jesus literally said here, in so many words, that his spiritual work sustains him. That's lesson number one. Our spiritual food, our mission that Jesus himself has given us, should also sustain us it should be what drives us you know i could put in here that food is our priority but i wanted to, to i wanted to phrase it better so that we can really understand when we say that the food our food like jesus our food is our spiritual work the great commission right to grow in such a way that we become workers who actually make more workers and make more followers That is not just our priority. That is our purpose. That is our purpose. Well, do you guys have you guys heard of uh, Abraham Maslow? I know I'm pretty sure many of you have heard of Abraham Maslow. There's this thing that he created that he uh, that he postulated, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There's this triangle. Have you guys seen that in high school? Right. So you know I, I see some of the young people. Yeah, I've seen that. So you see that food is part of our basic needs and maslow says that we need to fulfill our basic needs before we go up the pyramid to fulfill all of our other higher and higher end needs okay but what jesus says is that equivalent to his physiological needs is his spiritual needs what drives him and what motivates him is his basic need to fulfill his spiritual mission. Isn't that amazing? And I think we need to learn from that. I think we need to really understand that in our minds and in our hearts so that we can live out the Great Commission. It is something that we do. It's who we are. Right? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our physical needs are important. It sustains us. But you know what also sustains us? is our spiritual food that we get from the word of God. Fulfilling our mission in Jesus sustains us in this life. Now, the question that I want to ask us today is this. Do you fulfill your purpose for Jesus? Answer that in your own minds. Yes or no? Are you fulfilling the purpose that Jesus has given to you in the Great Commission in your life today? um, Think about a computer. Okay, think about a computer. Computers today are so powerful okay i think most of us have have computers at home at least one computer at home i think okay if not we have our phones that's pretty much a computer right you know there was a time you know i've seen this happen right in my lifetime in my life so far i've seen this there was a time when you actually need to have a radio to listen to the radio you guys remember that you actually needed to have a TV to watch cable TV. Do you remember that? And you actually needed to have a phone to be able to talk to somebody on the phone. And now, you know, I play the guitar too. And you actually need to have like, like you know, one of those tuners to be able to tune your guitar. But now, because you have a computer, you don't need any of those. Because your computer does all of that. The purpose of our computer, computers, it's huge, okay? But I'm going to show you a picture, okay? And I'm going to ask you what you think of this, okay? I'm just going to see what your reaction is. It's going to be a laptop computer, okay? Here's the picture right here. What do you guys think of that? That is a computer being used as a doorstop, You guys see that? A computer being used to stop the door from closing. You're probably thinking, well, there's something wrong with that. There is. Either the computer has failed to function properly, so it does not, it's no longer able to fulfill its purpose, and has now become, I guess, a really expensive doorstop, or the person who owns this computer does not know how to use a computer does not know the function of a computer it is the same thing for us as Christians you know we are the salt and the light of the world we, we remember that because we re- remember uh, in 2018-2019 we talked about the fundamentals that we built upon so that we can grow that's what we did in 2019 and we continue that in our in our series in 2020 right as we look into evangelism when we do not fulfill our purpose what are we doing jesus said this when we do not fulfill our purpose matthew 5 verse 13 you are the salt of the earth but if salt has lost its taste if when salt has failed to fulfill its purpose how shall its saltiness be restored It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We are the salt and the light of the earth. By virtue of what we do as our mission for Jesus, to go out and to tell people about Jesus, we brighten this whole world. But if we are not doing that, what are we doing? And I say that to, to all of us because I want to challenge us. I don't want to just have a. De- I don't want to be part of the 51% or the 25% or the 6% who do not know, who know but not really sure what the Great Commission is. We want to be part of that 17% who know and who understand. We need this for ourselves. And I love the First Peter two verse nine because in here Peter tells us what we do. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Let's stop there for a sec. This is who we are. I'm not sure if you can see this. This is who we are. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are priests. If you are a Christian, you are a priest. You you don't need to go to a priest to pray for God and to ask for forgiveness. We can do that ourselves. We can go directly to God. That's why we're the royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're God's special possession. But Peter did not stop there. Remember, crazy is what crazy does. Christians are what Christians do. This is who we are because we have a purpose. So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Living out the great commission. Evangelism is declaring the praises of Jesus. Who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is what we do. But now Jesus in our text goes on to say. You know what? This is our purpose. But this is also urgent. Okay? In verse 35, Jesus says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? You know, in life, there are things that you can't speed up. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's just, you just have to wait for some things to happen. You know, as as a father, this is big in my mind right now. I have, I'm a father of little children. I remember when Jacob was born, I wanted to hurry up his growth. That it's not, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like here and Christian are sitting here. It's because when the when the child cries, you don't know what's going on with them. Okay, what's wrong, buddy? What's wrong? Meh, meh. What is wrong? Just tell me. And I'll do it. You don't know because he, they can't talk. So and, and Linda and I, you know, I hope he would just speak. And sometimes I I hope that that my boy would just walk because I I don't want to carry him all the time anymore. I'm, I'm not strong. Like my arms get weak. And when I'm eating, I want to eat with my two of my hands. I want him to eat by himself. I want him, dad, I'm hungry. Can I just make something? Like, I want him to do that. You know, I don't want him to, oh, come on. Do I? No, I want him to grow up quick. But you know, it doesn't work that way. Time is going to make that happen. They're going to grow on their own time. This is exactly what Jesus is saying in verse 35. Back then, there was an expression, harvest happens when harvest happens. Back then, in the time of Jesus, it takes four months from the, it took four months from the time that the seeds were sowed or planted up until the time that it's ready to be harvested. People would just have to wait. Harvest happens when harvest happens. That is true with physical harvest. But listen to what Jesus says. That may be true, but spiritual harvest is different. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are already ready for harvest. You don't have to wait four months. There's no period of waiting needed. It's ready for you now. It's ready for us harvesters to harvest the field. It is ready. And I love how Jesus used the word harvest. And that it's ready. It has this idea. That. Oh, this sense of urgency to it. People are out there waiting to hear about Jesus. Most of them do not know about it. Like I didn't know that I needed need Jesus. It is up to us to tell them about it. It is up to us. There is a great need out there. And to highlight some of that, let's see what Paul says in Romans. Romans 10, 13 to 15. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Jesus tells us go. In effect, He is sending us out there. Go. People need us out there. People need to hear the message of the gospel. And then Jesus says in Matthew nine, thirty seven to thirty eight, then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field and the one that i want to show you here is john 20:21. 20, as the father has sent me i am sending you so those three verses that we just saw can be summed up in so many ways the harvest is plentiful the harvest is ready it's waiting for us out there and jesus is sending us to reap the harvest. You know, <clears throat> do you know how many people there are on this planet? Yeah, 7 billion. Okay, Somebody's really smart. Kenneth. Kenneth is pretty cool. I had to research this myself. I didn't know this off the top of my head. 7 billion people on this planet. Each and every one of them need Jesus. And it's not going to stop at seven billion. It's going to keep increasing, because every second, do you know how many people die? Two people die, and every second, four babies are born. It continues. You know, Jesus has a plan for winning people over to him. There's a lot of ways in which he does that, but a major way that he does that is us telling people about him. If we do not do it, I have a question for you that I want you to answer in your own heads. Does Jesus have a plan B? Who knows? But the fact remains is we are part, are a major part of his plan to tell people. You know, the majority of the people in the world, Not the majority, a third of the 7 billion, according to gospel advocacy groups, have not heard of the gospel message. A third of the people in the world have not heard the gospel message. I know this is like big things. We're just only one congregation and we're just, you know, if you think about it as individuals, it's tougher. But I want us to take that information and relate it to ourselves. How many in our circles in our social circles, have not heard of the gospel message? How many of them have not heard it from us? How many of them have not seen it from our actions? How many of our family, friends, co-workers, classmates, neighbors, acquaintances have not heard or seen the gospel in ourselves? You can do something. We all can do something. And I love that Jesus tells us exactly what we can do. The last thing that I wanted to look at really quickly here is this. Jesus says that we can do this. We can lift up our eyes and see. I love this. I love how he worded it. Lift up your eyes and see. Right? Because it has this sense of initiative that we actually do it actively. Not because, well, I have to. Or I was told, right? I want to do it. I want to lift up my eyes and see. Because our, our tendency is to look just in ourselves. We do not look beyond ourselves. We look inside these walls and see what are we doing today for God. What does God, has for, what does God have for us today in these four walls? And we don't think about the outside. But we need to think beyond us and see beyond us. Because if we do not we will miss the big picture. Okay? Have you guys ever taught anyone how to drive or ride a bike? I I, I had the pleasure of teaching Linda how to drive. It didn't last long. She had to take courses. But 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 the number one thing that I that I noticed was Linda was not looking ahead. She was just looking around, in the immediate vicinity. Because that is our that is our tendency is to look around in our immediate vicinity we do not look ahead jesus tells us lift up your eyes and see so that you will see the big picture you will see what your purpose is for this world your purpose is not to pad yourselves up with with entertainment with happiness with success no all of that stuff is going to go that's not eternal Our purpose here is eternal. Let us not cheapen ourselves like that computer that was used as a doorstop. We are not cheap. We are very important and special. Our purpose here is eternal. Okay? But it's not going to happen if we do not grow. You understand that? A lot of times people tell, people say, and I'm, you know, I, I say this as well. There is some good, good to this, but we have to be careful when we say this when we talk about evangelism. Normally the message is, just be more evangelistic, guys. Just be more evangelistic. Just invite people over. Just tell people about Jesus. Period. End of. But if we're not careful, that attitude, that technique, is not going to last. Why? Because it is not rooted in our relationship with God. If we are not sold out on Jesus... If we are not, if we have not fallen deeply in love, to say it in vernacular, about Jesus, uh, in, uh, in Jesus, we are not going to tell it naturally. It is going to be contrived. It is going to be painful. We need to love Jesus. You know, we talk about the things that we love. It's natural. I remember when I met Linda and we started a relationship. Everybody in my circle knew who Linda was. My parents knew who Linda was. My neighbors knew who Linda was. My friends knew who Linda was. My teachers in school knew who Linda was. My bus driver knew who Linda was. Everybody knew who Linda was. Because I love her. And I love telling people about how happy she has made me in my life. Because she's in my life. Jesus is way more than Linda to us. To me. It has to, evangelism is the overflow of our joyful heart. It is the natural response to us being really in love with Jesus. And if we focus on growing, that is what's going to happen. We will naturally go out there and tell people about our faith. And when we do that, this is what other natural things are going to happen. We are naturally going to care about people like Jesus cared for people. We are going to care about the hell that they are going through right now in their lives. And also we are going to think about the hell that awaits them if they do not respond to the gospel. Relationship is key. If evangelism does not happen in a vacuum, evangelism is all about people. So let us think about being out there with people. And to illustrate that, the final thing that I want to tell you is this. This guy, Wyn Arne, that's a name. He's American. He, uh, he, uh, He's an American church growth researcher. And he founded the Institute for American Church Growth. And what he did was he did a study. And he published it in this book, The Master's Plan for Making Disciples. It's about 40 years old. It's old. The study is old. But I believe, hand on heart, that it still is very applicable today. It still has merit today. In the study, he talked to 10,000 churchgoers. And he asked this one question. What or who was responsible for your coming to church um, and coming to Christ? They have many answers. But Mr. Arndt, what he did was he tabulated them with percentages. And here's what he found. People said, well, I had a special need, 1%. 2% 2% said, well, I walked into this congregation, so I'm here. 6% of them said, well, I like the minister. 1% of them, well, I was, just, I just visited and I liked it. 5% of them said, well, I like the Sunday school. It's good. 1% of them said, well, there's a special event, like a grow weekend or something, you know? There's a special event. And then 2% of them said, well, there's a church program, like the Friends Speak or, 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 or the other programs that we have. But you know, the biggest thing that they said is this. A friend or a relative invited me. Or a friend or a relative encouraged me. I saw it in them. And they shared it with me. We can all do this. You know, in, 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 uh, in our... Uh, future discussions in future lessons we're going to talk about what evangelism entails but today it would suffice for us to understand that this is something that we can all do is share our story with other people so our song of invitation this morning is called rescue the perishing i just want to i just want to read the first few lines so that it will uh focus our our, our minds on the song so that we'll encourage us to go and make disciples of nations. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen, Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Let us stand and sing the song of invitation.